Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Cape Cod Church, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, enjoy this message in our current series, The Story Project. And this morning, whether you have been a Christian all your life, or you're here this morning because you're skeptical, but you're checking things out, and you're not sure what you think about all of this, I'm excited because today we are talking about something I think we can all get something out of. This morning we are going to talk about the topic of peace. Peace is something that we talk a lot about in our culture. Global peace, peace on earth, inner peace, finding peace with ourselves and with others. And ancient Israel talked a lot about peace as well. In fact, they talked so much about it, they developed new ideas about the concept of peace, that it wasn't just the absence of conflict, but was also the presence of something. That true peace was the presence of wholeness. And the ancient Israelites told this story about peace. They told a story about a God who created this world that it was intended for wholeness for this idea of full peace, the establishment of wholeness, that there was a God who created and designed this world for wholeness. And the ancient Israelites told the story that this God, in fact, was still active in this world to bring about that wholeness, that he was continuing a process, unfolding a story in a world that was intended and moving toward completion, wholeness a lack of brokenness, the presence of something whole and good. And do you know what's crazy about that story? What's crazy about that story is that they told it in the context of intense brokenness, that that story was told in the midst of exile, when the history of their nation, all they had ever known was brokenness and violence and conflict that that was their daily reality. And yet they claimed somehow that this world was intended for wholeness. You and I, if we were to create something for wholeness, whether it is a home or a family, whether we're looking for a car or whatever it might be, if we want something that is going to endure, that is going to be whole and unbroken, we don't start with something that we think will fracture. You and I, when we want something to be whole, we start with something that we think is strong enough to endure, to remain whole and complete forever. When we begin a family, we look for something strong. When we enter into a new relationship, we look for something that we think can endure so that it can be whole. And yet, this is not the story that we find in Scripture. The story we find is a God who intended this world, this broken world, for wholeness. Knowing that it would be broken and fractured, that there would be conflict. And that is the material he chose to use from start to finish. That is a wild story, but that's the thing about true stories. They're often strange because they have to wrestle with facts. True stories don't get to just comply with what we expect to see or what we would do or our preconceived notions about what is. They have to deal with reality. And ancient Israel told this story because it was their lived reality. When they looked throughout their history, they saw a God who was bringing wholeness out of brokenness. A God who preferred to restore things than replace things. A God who took them from where they were and preferred to bring life from death instead of starting over from scratch. This is the God that they had seen at work, that they knew themselves, and they they expected to finish his good work. And then one day, people started talking about a man who was known as the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Wholeness. And suddenly, all over, people began to testify 
for their own reality, the continuation of the story, that they were in fact experiencing that wholeness, not as individual revelations throughout history, but as a daily reality of their experience. This crazy story was true. It was what they were experiencing in their own lives. Today, we're going to hear a story from someone that you might recognize who testifies to that same true story, that same reality in her life. And the pastor is going to talk with us about what it looks like for God to create wholeness out of brokenness, how somehow our pain and our suffering can come to a place of peace. So as we prepare to hear these things, I just want to leave us with two questions to wrestle with. First, is there pain or a history of suffering in your life, a deep wound that you thought that thing can never be whole because it was broken? I can never have peace because of that suffering. That thing can't be restored. And second, is it possible that that longing in us for peace, for wholeness, is not just optimistic, but in fact a reflection of our lived reality. That the reason that you long for peace is because you were intended for it. That the reason that you long for peace is because in fact there is evidence all throughout your life of a God who brings wholeness out of what is broken, who restores what is broken rather than just replacing it and moving on. Could it be that that's what we were designed for? Will you pray with me? Father, we come to you this morning with a variety of different stories across this room, Father hundreds of different stories, and we come with our doubts and our questions. Father, we come celebrating moments of restoration, but also wrestling with moments of pain and suffering, Father, and we admit that sometimes we are unsure about how you can redeem those things. God, we just come to you this morning as a community and ask that you would speak to us, that you would reveal yourself to us this morning, that you would speak to us through the story that we're about to hear, through the message that we're about to hear, Father. That you would invite us into the story that you're unfolding in this world and in our own stories. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My name is Anita McCusker, and I'm from East Sandwich, Massachusetts. So I was born in Maynard, Massachusetts, I am one of seven children. I have two older brothers, one who is deceased, and four younger sisters. Both of my parents were alcoholics. I have my brother who passed away was an alcoholic, and I have very many family members who are alcoholics. While I was in college, um, or just after college, my mom passed away, you know, so I was um, sort of the matriarch of our family and took care of my, my siblings. Um, for several years and then when I was 26 my dad passed away and I was still living up in central Massachusetts. Alcoholism was so prevalent when my parents passed away I was really angry and I was angry at them for leaving seven children. Um, one of them 10 years old, 10, 12, 14, 16 and myself at 20. My older brothers, I was re just really really angry. You know that was uh, sort of my life until college and then I sort of stepped away from my faith for a while after that. Let's say it was about seven years ago that my son, my oldest son, was a senior in high school and he was introduced to the loft here at Cape Cod Church and he brought me one day and I was, as I said, grew up Catholic so for me the experience at Cape Cod Church when it was in the smaller building was just amazing, something I'd never experienced before. I had been coming to Cape Cod Church for um, several months and I said, well, you know, I'm going to attend one of these newcomers classes that the pastor had to tell you about where the church had started, um, a little bit about how you could get involved, and most importantly, um, the path to be able to follow Jesus, which I really didn't understand. And so I went to that class, and uh, 
I was telling Brittany that's still on my phone to this day. I have the text that I sent to my son that night saying that I had accepted Christ as my savior. Yeah, I had um, some challenges with some family members that when I understood the forgiveness that the Lord had given to me, I was able to forgive myself for my part in that, that disruptive relationship and also to be able to forgive you know, what I perceived as, as wrongs in that relationship. And that has really been one of the greatest changes in my life, for sure. One of the great joys for me in this journey has been the path I see from the, uh, how the Lord put me in a position to work at Cape Cod Church by giving me the opportunity to be a leader in the cafe and having um, leadership want me to be on the team here that led me to be able to work with the Emerson House, which is a recovery house here in East Falmouth. My favorite part of the relationship is getting to know some of those women and the rare opportunities that I have and, and knowing that there are many who are successful in overcoming that, um, that addiction disorder and, and being able to provide them with hope. And that is really what we do with our partnership. It just speaks to my heart, and when I look back, I, I'm able to say, wow, God put all of this in motion, and I feel like he put me here on the staff of Cape Cod Church so that I could um, be a part of that partnership with Emerson House. And I'm amazed by that all the time. And to be a part of recovery, um, that has been such a large part of my, my just my story as a, as a person, has been pretty amazing. So... The story project, this idea that woven through the Bible is a story. But it's more than that. It's that there is woven through the chapters of that story, creation and fall, redemption and restoration. There's a, there's a theme, a singular theme that runs through it and ties it all together and helps us to make sense of the story. So in creation, it's there. And in the fall, when everything goes wrong, it's there. And in the story of Jesus and redemption and the cross and atonement, it's there. And in restoration and his plan to put everything else back together again, it's there. This one idea that from the very beginning, God wanted to give you and me life. A full life. And he wants to do it as a gift. So if that's true, if, if, if God wants to give you a full life, right where you're at, right where you're sitting, right in the middle of what you're going through with all of the, you know, as one of my friends called, all the gack of life, that means that this, that this full life, somehow, somehow what God is giving to us has to wrestle with the, the hardest, most painful details of life. It has to have a solution for that. It has to, it has to do something for the things that hurt us most deeply. I think that's what Peter was getting at in, in Matthew, uh, in this passage in Matthew 18. It's just, you, you can, you can hear it in the question that he asks. He thinks he's asking an innocent question. He's kind of a newbie to this whole way of Jesus thing. And if you follow the life of the disciples through the four biographies of them and Jesus, then what you discover is that they messed it up all the time. They were always asking the wrong question, saying the wrong thing, assuming the wrong part. And Jesus would use it as a teaching moment. And this is one of those teaching moments where, 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 where it seems like Peter thinks he's doing the right thing. Like he, I, like I got this. I, I, I know, I, let, me, let me put it to you this way, Jesus. And here's what he says in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 21. Peter came to Jesus and he asked, he said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister? Not that I have anybody in mind. It could be my brother. It could be my sister. It could be anyone and then he says, he gives a number, like he's thought this through, like how many times, Lord, should I forgive them? Up to seven times? And whenever I read this, I have to assume that he had been offended either six times and he was willing to give him one more 
or seven times because he was done and he was ready to go. We're done. Or eight times and he wanted to be able to really drop the hammer and look back and pick up this whole story and say, Jesus said, I could crush you. And Jesus answered, <laughs> uh, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times or 70 times seven. There's some debate about the number here. Was it 70 plus seven? Was it 70 times seven? So was it 77 or is it 490? Listen, it's not about math. <laughs> Like, like, I think we want to count that and debate that because that's easier than what the story is actually talking about. Jesus could tell Peter's not getting it. So Jesus says, ah. he's thinking, this guy's going to be the leader of my church. I got to, this is, he's a hot mess. Peter, let me tell you a story. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like, and so Jesus would often start his stories with the kingdom of heaven is like, the way of Jesus is like. In other words, the path to a full life with me looks like this. And he says, uh, it's like a king who uh, decided to settle all of his accounts with, uh, with his workers, with his servants. And he calls them in and they come in and they have to pay the debt that is due. And, and he says, and in walks one servant and it says that he owes him in, in modern language, like millions and millions and millions of dollars. Like in, in modern language, it'd be like billions. The point of the story was he owes an amount he would never in a thousand lifetimes ever be able to repay. And so he calls the guy in. He says, hey, you owe me millions of dollars. It's time to pay. And the guy says, I can't pay. And he says, well, then you're going to have to go into servitude, you and your family to pay all this debt. And the guy says, please, please, please. And it says, he starts begging him. He's begging, just give me a little bit more time. That's, that's, that's perfect, isn't it? Just give me a little bit more time and I'm going to hit the lottery next week and I'll make a billion dollars. I'll be able to pay you off, right? And there was no way. And the point of the story is that everyone listening to it knew that no matter how long he had, he would never be able to repay the debt, ever. And yet he asked for more time. And the master says, you'd never be able to repay it. So I'm going to forgive it. What? <laughs> this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Ah, but Jesus isn't done. Jesus says there's another part of the story because this guy, he, he went out, like he's floating on cloud nine. And what does he do? He goes right out and he sees another servant and this servant owes him a little bit of money, like a few thousand And he goes and he grabs him by the throat. You weren't expecting that, right? He grabs him by the throat and he demands to be paid. And <laughs> the guy says the exact same thing. Please give me a little bit of time. And the man says, no way, no way. The next part is worth reading. Jesus says, here's what happened next. In Matthew 18, verse 31, he says, when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. And they went to the king and told him everything that had happened because hypocrisy has never been popular not now, not 2,000 years ago. And when we see hypocrisy on display like this, oh, no, 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 no. We're going to talk to the king. Jesus tells the story. He says, the king called the man in he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, 
I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Yikes. That's a tough ending. You see, this is a story about the effect of offense. It's not, it's not a story about money. It's a story about the effect of offense, of the debt you think people owe to you because they've hurt you. Remember, Jesus is telling this story not to give Peter a lesson in money. He's giving him a lesson in offense, and he wants to show him the danger of offense, because the danger in offense is not just that you will be hurt and that you'll be sad. The danger in offense is that that, that hurt will grow into something else, that it will become something more. I, I think, I just, I, I want to point out two things about this story before we before we move on from it, because I think they're important just to get your, your head around it. The first is, um, if, if you, when you read this story, you ought to be able to see yourself in it, and what you should be able to see is this, that it's easy to say we forgive, and it's harder to do. Peter's like, I forgave him once, twice, three times, four times a lady, five, six, right? I forgave him six Seven, something like that. Like how N.T. writes it, he says, if you're counting, you're not forgiving, you're postponing revenge. Some of us got revenge on layaway. We said, I'm going to come back for that later. Just put that right over here. You see... It's easy for us to say, oh, I forgave him, I forgave him, I forgave him, but there, but there's like this, this, this nugget of it in down deep in us that we just haven't let go. So, uh, a couple months back, uh, someone bumped into my car, just like, I don't know, opened their door or did something or pushed a carriage into it in a parking lot, and it left a nice little quarter-sized dent. And it's got, it was, there's white paint on it. And I've got a black car, so it's not, it's, it's, it's hard to miss. But they were nice and they left, uh, they, they left their, it was in a parking lot and they left their name and their contact information and said, sorry about your car. Happy to take care of it. I'm like, oh, that's pretty nice. And so I, 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 I got this and, and I'm looking at it and I'm, and I, I had just finished a few, few weeks ago preaching a message, too, about a guy who had been kind of nasty with me when I bumped his car. It was like right after that. <laughs> and honestly, there was a part of me, it's like, that's my nice car. Then I'm like, eh. And I just, I decided in the moment, I just wanted to be gracious. I just, every car I've ever owned has had a dent. It's another one. Welcome home. (laughs) So I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna ask him to fix it. It's not that big of a deal. And I let it go. Until a couple weeks later, I was walking by it and I saw it again and it annoyed me. And I thought, I've still got her number. Is it too late to call? (laughs) 
Ben, what are you doing? Actually, I really, no, I'm serious. I thought this. I was walking into the office. I was, I was right outside and I had to go around the side of the car. So I saw it and I'm walking in. I'm like, Ben, what are you doing? You said you were just going to forgive it and let it go. And here you are. You're like hanging on to it and you're annoyed by it. And my point is just that, that it's easy for us to say, oh, I forgave. And then it, we, we hold on to it. And here's the problem. And, and it's the second thing in this story that you just, you can't miss is that, that hurt has a way of, getting into our lives and growing and becoming something else. It swells. And hurt over time becomes hate. Now we're good people, so we don't hate nothing. We're, we're, we're practiced at saying that, but, but that might be the best word to describe what we're, what we're feeling, because over time, that, that, that nugget of hurt, it just, it's, it, it just, it, it grows and it swells and it takes on a life of its own inside of us, and we just, I just can't, and it just grows and it grows, but I said I forgive, and, 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 but I kind of want to go back and I want to do something about it, and it's growing and it's growing. It's like, it's like you got, it's like you got burnt. And that burn is turned into a blister and it feels like all the blood is flowing there and it's like at the tip of your finger and it's just like throbbing. It's the only thing you can think about because that, that hurt is just like growing and growing and growing and it's swelling until it's become something in your life and, and, and you just decide, I gotta do something with this. I gotta, I gotta get rid of this, right? And then, and then, and then all of a sudden you act in ways that are unthinkable. And that's what's happening in this story. This, this, this bitterness has grown and he's just got a, have you ever just had a blister and you're just like, I know I'm not supposed to pick it, but I don't care. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna rip it off and expose everything. And I don't care if I get an infection and you just, <clears throat> We love, we love popping and picking. Right? And we know, we know that, that that hate, that that vengeance, that it, that it, that it exposes us to an infection or, or it locks us in a, in a prison, a prison of pain. That's, that's what this passage is talking about. And when Jesus gets to the end of it and he says, you're going to prison, what, what, he, what he's saying is, listen, that, that hurt has locked you in a prison. It's like, it's like taking you down a path you didn't think you'd go because you didn't, you didn't let go and you're all locked up. And it, listen, you're not locked up because of what they did. You're locked up because of what you've done after what they did. You couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't forgive it. You couldn't walk away from it. You didn't have a process for dealing with it. And it just swelled and swelled and swelled until you had to rip it off. And that led to an infection that raged through the rest of your body. And all of a sudden you're like, how did I become this person? Because, because you haven't figured out how am I going to, how am I going to relieve this? How am I going to deal with it? And this is what Jesus is talking about. This is what he came to do. And if you see yourself in the story, then, then, then what Jesus is offering is what we, what you, what I need, because it's how we deal with our hurts. And this is what Jesus does. Jesus walks in and he says, listen, I have, I have a way, my way, the way of Jesus. I have a life that I'm giving you that solves this. And it's a gift. Just, just sit with me. Listen. <laughs> he says, I'm giving you a gift, Peter. I'm giving you a gift. You see, but we, we think the, the gift of God is about making all the bad things go away. And that's not what the gift of God looks like. In fact, in fact, Jesus best describes this in Matthew chapter 5. It's his most famous sermon. It's, if you had to pick one place where Jesus got everybody together and he preaches a sermon on a mountain and he says, hey, this is what the way of Jesus looks like. And he just says, he says, and, and it's, uh, I don't know how else to describe it. It's odd. It's odd. It's odd advice. It's upside down. It's like Jesus flips the story and he says, this is the way of Jesus. This is the path to life and life to the full. Let me read a couple of those first verses from the beginning of the sermon. Here's what Jesus said. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom, heaven is theirs. This life I'm giving is theirs. God blesses the poor. <laughs> 
That's upside down, Jesus. I was looking for something else. Verse 4, God blesses those who mourn. You see how, how it's, it's upside down. It's not, it's not what we're hoping for, not what we're expecting, for they will be comforted. Verse 5, God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Jesus is, Jesus is saying, listen, this, this way of following me, this life, this way of Jesus, this full life is not, what, is not what people will tell you it is. It's upside down. It's the opposite. And when you read this, you realize that Jesus didn't come to make good people a little bit better. Just let that sit in, because if you're here thinking, well, church is going to make me a little bit of a better person, I got news for you. That's not Jesus' plan. Jesus' plan is just to, like, flip the entire script, turn this thing upside down, and do something we never expected. I mean, this is an upside-down moment, and he's about to expand on it, and he takes the same idea that he had just rolled out with Peter, and he says, let me show you what this looks like. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. He says in that same message, just a few minutes later, trying to explain to them this way, he says, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. The, the concept of loving your neighbor was not new. And the reality of hating your enemy was clear to everyone then, just like it is now. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. It turns out that this verse, this is like, it, we, we talked about John 3.16 the last couple of weeks and how it's like the most popular, famous verse for a generation of people. It turns out that this verse, verse 44 of Matthew chapter 5, was one of the most popular verses in the early church. In fact, we know this from writings. At least 10 authors in 26 different occasions quoted this verse over the first 300 years in writings that exist today. This verse was everything in the early, early church. I say, love your enemy. He's building on the same idea that had just been rolled out with Peter. I say, love your enemies. Pray, pray for those who persecute you. That's, a, that's an interesting add-on. Um, because often we can't get to the love your enemy part right away. We're, <laughs> we're, we're not there yet. So pray, pray for them. Pray, pray for those that, that persecute you. In other words, you and I weren't made to hold on to this, this hurt. It just locks us up in a, in a prison. It just, it just wraps us up. And that hurt becomes something else. And Jesus is saying, I've got a way, I've got a path for you to, for you to deal with this. I, I, I've got a, a, a life. Instead of like letting it swell and blister, instead of ripping it off in a, in, in a fit of vengeance, I, I want you to, Peter, I want you to, I want you to forgive them. I, I want you to love your enemy. I want you to pray for them that persecute you. Here's what I'm saying in the most practical terms. Some of you have been sitting here, and from the first moments that Brittany started talking about brokenness and the pain in your life, you immediately went back to some place in your life. Some of you read an email of the topic for this weekend, and you came because the pain is so visceral and so real, it consumes your life. You can see it. You know exactly how to name it. 
And what Jesus is saying is, saying, listen, you can't just let that linger. You can't just let that sit there. You can't live in that. Because if you let it sit there, it'll become something else. It will put you in a prison. And here's how you can, here's how you can let it go. You, you can, you can walk towards it. You can, you can sit across from it. You can offer a word of, of forgiveness. Say, I can't do that. I can't do that. Sometimes it starts with, with a prayer. Praying for them. Maybe you feel like I can't even pray for them. I, I think there's something powerful in just talking to Jesus about them. Like if you can't get there, that's what prayer is, just talking to Jesus. Just, I'm just saying some of us need to just like, we need to leave here today and, and just like get in the car by ourselves or get somewhere by ourselves and just talk to Jesus. Just like, Lord... Because I'm going to tell you something, the longer you talk to him, the more you'll hear him talk back. I'm not talking audible voices, but you'll know what he's saying. You, you see, Jesus is giving us a way to, to relieve this. And, and I know, I know, I know how this plays out. I've talked about this before. Some of you are right here, you're sitting here right now, and you're saying, I can't. When you're watching online and you're like, you're ready to hit the off button, like you're going to go watch YouTube videos or something like that. I've, I've stood in the lobby after a message on this topic and had people come up to me and say, you don't understand. You, you don't, you don't know. I, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what they did. I've had people look at me. And maybe some of you are thinking this right. I will never. Never. I can't. I can't. <laughs> And I just want you to know you can. And this is where the gift comes in. And it's beautiful. You see, I left a part of the story about my car out. When it, when it happened, Tammy actually was out shopping and had taken my car. That's not, it's not her fault. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. But she did, she did come home with the message and the little scrap of paper. And she said, she said, somebody dented your car and they left a note. And then she said, now you have a dent that matches the other one on the other side. <laughs> and so I went out to look and, and there was that little white quarter. And then I walked around the other side because that was on the passenger side. I walked around to the driver's side. And there it was, my matching dent that I had created. I'd opened the door too fast into something that was too close. I'd only had the car like a month. I was so mad. And I thought about how much it would cost to fix it. And I decided, I don't want to pay that. It's not that bad. Something about that dent put all the other dents in my life in perspective. Here's what I'm saying. If you want to relieve that hurt before it becomes hate, 
if you're looking to be let out of that prison, he has given you a gift. He's put a gift in your life. I'm not saying it's easy, but there's a gift in your life, and here it is. I'm just inviting you right now, right where you're seated, to do something really, really hard. Don't think about anybody else. Don't shuck and jive with me and try and squirm out of the way. Don't start thinking about lunch and the Pats game at one. All that stuff will take care of itself. Just don't, don't leave right now. Just walk with me. Walk to the other side of the car and pull up a chair and just sit on the driver's side and look at the dent that you made. Here's what I mean. In that dent, take your most shameful, ugly moment and look at it. Your deepest failure, your most embarrassing moment. And just look at it. Maybe that moment cost you everything. And maybe, maybe you got away with it. Maybe nobody knows. But when you sit in that chair and you look at that, you can't help but remember an ugly detail. And I want you to know something. Jesus can't remember it. He can't remember it. That's what Isaiah 43 says. He will not remember our transgressions. I don't, I don't understand that. I don't know how a God of the universe who can do whatever he wants and knows everything chooses, chooses in his infinite power. He chooses to forget that which I can't forget. And because of his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness and what was accomplished on the cross, the very thing that I stare at and twists me up, he says, I don't know what you're talking about. I forgave that. I cleaned it up. I fixed that. <laughs> Do you see why Jesus told Peter the story of the debtor? He just wanted him to go back and sit and look at the driver's side. He just wanted to say, Peter, come on. Go look at it. Remember you? And God, in his infinite mercy and grace and forgiveness, has chosen forget it. This is why in Colossians it says that God, through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross has made peace. Brittany said it so well. He's, he's taken all those broken things and he's put them together. That's what Jesus does. Some of you, you're, you're, you're right here. And, and, and this is, listen, don't let this moment pass. Just go, go sit at that driver's side door and look. And then be reminded that he can't remember. That his grace and forgiveness are so infinite. 
that he set you free. And in the glow of that, go talk to Jesus. Go talk to him about that person that hurts you. That person who planted a seed in your childhood and they're long, long gone, but it has grown and festered until it consumes you today. That deep offense that that person won't acknowledge and they won't admit and they keep doing it over and over and over and over again. Just take that grace. Just take that view and go talk to Jesus. Give it to him. Here's what I think will happen. I just, I'm not going to give you a one, two, three plan. I'm just going to say, if you go talk to him and you just tell him where you're at and what you're struggling with it and what grace feels like in your life, here's what I'm guessing. Somewhere in that story, he's going to give you something to do. He's just going to... I was wrestling through this the other day. The hard part about preaching stuff like this is you're supposed to practice it. And, and I, 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 full transparency, I was I was praying through this, and I like knew. I'm like, Lord, I'm saying, just you should do this, and I'm like, nope, not doing it. I mean, I was writing the message out. And it occurred to me in prayer, he was saying, well, how about, how about we stop doing this? It, details, none of it matters. It's no one in here. Don't worry. It's not you. <laughs> yeah, I should stop doing that. I'm just saying, don't let that thing fester. Don't let it grow. He has given you everything you need to walk away. Let me say something else and we'll finish. You may look and say, Ben, I've never had, I've never, I've never found grace like that in my life. Never. I just want to invite you to meet Jesus. <laughs> just, that's what he offers. All that stuff that you can't forget. He said, listen, I, I, that's what I came to forgive. That's what I want to, that's, that's what my grace and mercy is for. I came to set you free from that once and for all. And in that moment, his grace wipes it away. Would you bow with me? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. You, you may need this moment just to... Uh, pray to talk with Jesus and maybe it's just the beginning like Lord maybe you're thinking man I feel the pressure of it right now because it's in the middle of preaching but if I could just get out of here once I get out of here it'll go away but but what doesn't go away is that that hurt that's festering and swelling and becoming something else And it's locked you in a prison. So this moment is your moment. It's your moment just to talk to Jesus and to begin this process of loving an enemy, of 
offering forgiveness, of saying, I release them. I release them. And maybe you're here and your story, you're listening to this, watching this, and you're like, I need that Jesus. I need that grace, that mercy, that forgiveness in my life. There is nothing so powerful as encountering Jesus Christ who once and for all sets us free. And maybe this morning is your moment to to embrace that gift. I invite you to pray something like this. Dear, dear God, You know every vicious, ugly, embarrassing dent. I confess it all. I give it to you. And Jesus, I trust you and you alone to forgive me. I believe that what you did when you came to this earth and died on a cross and rose from the grave, I believe that that has somehow given me the gift of forgiveness. And today, I accept it. I say yes. I invite you into my life. Help me now to live my life fully for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this message from our current series, The Story Project. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to meet you in person. We have services every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. in East Falmouth, Massachusetts, or join us for our live stream services on YouTube at the same time. If you enjoyed the Cape Cod Church podcast, we hope you'll consider leaving us a review so that other people can discover us too. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook or Instagram. Thanks again for tuning in, and I'll see you on the next episode.